Hello and welcome to the first official episode of the Final Phase Podcast. One of the main goals of this podcast was to provide you with compelling bits of info you probably cannot find anywhere else. It's always interesting to hear how a gaming community evolves in newly released games, for example, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, and how one can create his own career path during that rapid development. Before we begin, since the podcast is available on a lot of different platforms, make sure you visit Spreezy.com and listen to it on your favorite app. So our today's guest is Avenger, a PUBG commentator and the godfather of the European PUBG esports scene. Well, maybe I just made up that last part, but I think it's true in many ways. If you ever watch PUBG LAN events, you've probably seen Avenger on the analyst desk, but what you may not know about him is that he's also one of the people behind many successful communities and projects in PUBG, most notably Face It nowadays. How you doing, Avenger? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I don't know if a Godfather is the, the truthful way of saying it. I think that's mostly you. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, I've been here for some time and uh, I've come a long way since, uh, since the start, indeed. Yes, that is uh, one of the reasons why you're here in the first episode. I'm happy to be your first. All right. <laughs> Uh, let's start with your gaming background. Could you tell us uh, where you came from? Did you come from an FPS background? And what games did you play in general? Well, the f- so the first real game I started playing on my own PC after I got my own PC uh, from like when you when I really started playing, obviously I played console, Sega. Um, I'm one of the older guys, so I tried that as well. I had all the PlayStation generations, but when I really started playing, my first PC was uh, obviously um, a shooter. I played a game called Vietcong, which was, it came out a little bit earlier than Call of Duty, which I uh, then moved on to. It was also very much in kind of the same way uh, a first-person shooter where you aim down your sides and your movement is kind of important. I played Call of Duty uh, quite a bit and played a lot of clan base, which was what back in the day was kind of the popular thing for to do competitive. I've always yeah. been uh, kind of like a very competitive player. Um, and then Call of Duty 2 came out and that really like got a lot of my attention and, and I played that basically every day, all day after school. Um, put a, many, many hours into that. Uh, played for the national team of Denmark on clan base. There's the Nations Cup, as you know it. Um, that was always always made by clan base. Uh, played for, for that both in Call of Duty 1, 2 and, and also Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Call of Duty 4, if, as some call it. Yeah, yeah. So very much, very much a Call of Duty guy until Call of Duty 4. And uh, obviously uh, played all expansions and vanilla also back when it was uh, popular, rated in... Uh, <laughs> World of Warcraft. Yeah. The World, of, yeah World of Warcraft rated, uh, yeah, basically all tiers except for Naxxramas in vanilla. So that took, also took a lot of time. Um, but yeah, a gamer by heart. That is great. So how did you uh, get into PUBG? So PUBG was kind of... Uh, I, f- I followed it for, for some time before it, it like got released. And I, I didn't play the beta, I didn't play the alpha. But I really kept my eye on it since like when it came out. And then the launch hit, and it was just like exactly that game that like kind of combined you know, what I love from Call of Duty to some of the like RNG parts and looting parts that is in World of Warcraft. And that just put it down into like a hectic game in 30 to 40 minutes where 
you battle to be the best in that game. And I just loved every single part of it. And at that point, I was working full time in a, in a software company. Um, and I, I spent, I would say, as much time working as I did playing the game while I was still working full time for that company. So I was grinding a lot. I played a lot of my friends. And when they, like, when they quit uh, or when they had to go to school or when they had to go to bed, I continued into, you know, one, two of the night and just cut my sleep and slept for less and just accepted four hours of sleep was enough for the first couple of Committed. Months, you know? Very committed. Yeah. Um, so you started from beta maybe or alpha? Or... No, I actually, I bought it when it came in early access, just when I it see. hit Steam the first time in early access. Uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't one of the lucky ones to get uh, alpha or beta, and I didn't really want to put that much time into it because, you know, I I, uh, I like when it just comes out and then you start the grind. It's kind of like when like a fresh server wipes and someone yeah, else, yeah, you know, yeah. wow, wow, classic is around the corner. I'm, I'm gonna play that a lot as well. And it's like when it when a new game hits and it just you know leaderboards are fresh and you you compete where everybody's kind of at the same level. That's what I really love. Yeah, exactly. That is always exciting. Yeah. Um, so that was about maybe what March 2017 when you when oh, you started. Yeah I, believe. yeah, I believe that was when yeah early access. Okay, so March, yeah. you were playing a lot. You were basically a pro player uh, at the start. Um, so not how being did... signed though, not, okay. not being signed the well, first uh, not the first four or five months. Yeah, yeah, but not that many players were uh, under pro teams back then. So. Yeah, that's true. So, like, I was—I I guess I was a very competitive player at that point, right? Yeah. So you played on Gamescom in 2017, yeah. which was the first official LAN tournament in PUBG. That's true, yeah. And it was yeah. also uh, one of the most viewed events, I think, in, in PUBG's history. It was one of the one of the top five ones, I believe, at least. Especially also because obviously the way they structured it, it was the first kind of event. There was a lot of content creators and. Uh, especially for Twitch and especially for viewership in Twitch, the early people that are really good at PUBG, they got a lot of viewers. So there's a lot of content creators from around the world that got invited directly. I wasn't fortunate to, uh, I didn't stream at that point that much, um, but there was a uh, there was a duo first person tournament. At this point, the majority, the vast majority, was in third person, and they didn't release the first person until kind of later. So there was multiple tournaments. If you were one of the top Lead, uh, if you're one of the top on the leaderboards uh, in the in-game leaderboards where kind of mm -hmm. at the time where it mattered a lot and, and MMR was uh, it was kind of a thing but you still had to put in a lot of hours you got invited by ESL if you registered to be invited uh, so you were kind of qualified for the event to play on the event but you could only play in the duo third person and in the duo first person and uh, I found together with a, a maid I met through PUBG actually Pony Rider at that time And uh, we started playing a lot of duo, and we were both uh, top 25. I think both at the point we have been both top 10, and uh, and we got invited to um, to participate in the kind of the four rounds that you could play in third person and first person in duo. Mm -hmm. So we uh, we went on a road trip from from Denmark from Copenhagen, and I picked up Pony a bit uh, in Jutland. We met there, and then we drove to Cologne, and then we played obviously. But the hard thing was that there was four rounds, but you had to win a round. So, and on top of that, there was half of the teams that was there 
was uh, was kind of walk-ins, as you can say, that just walked in from the from in the booth and started playing there mm-hmm. on some of the equipment that there. So it was very random. It was like it was very much just a, like a very stacked public game. Um, so in the third person, we didn't we didn't manage to qualify. We had a few kind of close games, and then the next day it was duo first person, where we uh, where we managed to qualify in the in the second game, which then made us qualify to the main event of the duo first person tournament, where uh, there was uh, thirty thousand for the first prize and twenty for the second and so forth. Yeah, that was a lot of uh, prize money, especially for the first uh, land tournament. It was also so many big names there it was yeah probably pretty intimidating to play against everyone that you watch on twitch so it's... obviously it was big it was big content created names and like kind of you respect them obviously you see you see how they play but kind of the play style and and how you play in first person that was not like a lot from them obviously they played other right, shooters and right. stuff like that but i like I felt like we had a kind of had an upper hand because we've been grinding so much first person and the other guys, they had a squad tournament and a solo tournament. So they were kind of focusing yeah, yeah, on yeah. the third person uh, part of it. But it was uh, it was cool. I mean, Ninja was there and uh, his squad won the third person. Yeah, Luminosity and, uh, Gaming, if I remember, right? Yeah, true. TSM was there. Uh, Liquid was there. There's a lot of big orcs that picked up teams that are kind of put together by both big content creators, but also very good players uh, at that point. Yes, and talking about Ninja, Ninja wasn't Ninja of today, no. the Fortnite multi-millionaire uh, Ninja. He was he was very yeah. popular. He had a couple of thousand viewers, maybe even more. Yeah, but he wasn't yeah, it was planetary popular so. at that point. He was just another no. streamer, another good player, and he led his team well, and uh, they did well. Yeah, and obviously. Uh... They played extremely well together. The, th- the three other guys he played with was also very competitive uh, H1C1 players and have played like a, like a lot yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. of games throughout their career professionally as well. So obviously they had a lot of experience together. But yeah, he, at that point, I think he was between 2,000 and 5,000 uh, viewers and, and not as family friendly as he is today. Uh, <laughs> I actually like that. I like that Ninja more. He was, he was kind of... More natural. Yeah, more natural. He flamed his uh, opponents more, like, and there was a lot of more kind of speed and and aggressivity, like aggression over over his playstyle. And uh, yeah, I, I like that ninja. I think he was very entertaining to watch as well. So obviously, it was pretty cool to meet him, shake his hand, say hi to him, um, and all the other guys that I've I've met there that are now I consider friends that I've been playing with afterwards, and and most of them or many of them are now still. Uh, content creators, big content creators, and and also obviously uh, uh, some of them are still professional players. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting to see where these people are today. The ones that played on Gamescom. For there's so many streamers that are really big now that weren't that big mm, at that yeah. point. Some people transitioned to other games. Some people became casters. Some people yeah. became uh, <laughs> so. There's. Um, very interesting career paths all over the place uh, when it comes to the early uh, PUBG streamers slash players. That's true. I mean, uh, the first kind of, obviously a lot of them are not in, but there's many kind of career paths that led to that. Uh, Hayes was there. He's he's now been a, an analyst and a coach. Skoom is there, yes. probably the the current still most successful player, uh, Ibiza was there, but he didn't qualify uh, in the tournament that, like in the qualifying stage mm-hmm. of the duos. Um, uh, but it was, it was super interesting. It was, obviously, it was super nice to meet all of the guys and, and make some uh, some friends for life. Yeah. 
So how did you do in that tournament in the end? We ended up being uh, a little bit lucky and also uh, kind of take advantage of some of the play styles that were there. We ended up taking two second places out of the three games that were there. So we ended up on an overall second. And that was uh, second? One would expect that that would be first. Uh, because, first of all, some of the other guys, they obviously won, and so the point structures was different, but uh, I got second where... I got second alone where I was snaking in a game in, in the Gaka fields. I remember that game. Fields. I still remember that game. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was it was it was kind of I was a bit lucky with the circus, but on top of that, I was also I took I got some kills. I kind of swept the whole area, and like I was sweating so much in my hands because I usually have quite quite well hands, and it, and it was extremely hot in the booth. Uh, and it was summer, so like my hands were so wet and my mouse was slippery. So I had to, while I was just like kind of saving a bush, I had to take my, uh, I had like a, a cloth piece with me, dry my hands. And at that point, the camera and everything was like on me. So Sims and Pansy, they were, ca- they were casting that game. Sims just started laughing and like, <laughs> and like we've Must talked about that. Must have looked funny, yeah. Yeah, well, it must look funny. Like I was in a kind of top five situation. I was just chilling and, and drying my hands, but I was just, I was nervous. There's a lot of pressure on, like you want to do good. Yeah. But I didn't I ended up getting second in that game. And then the next game, we were uh we were in a two versus two versus one situation. And uh and Andy Pyro, who uh, was sitting next to me, who uh, obviously also now know very well now, he uh he clutched it like they um he played with Forsen at that time. Wow, he played with Forsen, right? Wow. Yeah, he played with Forsen and uh and he clutched that game. And won the game where we got second. If we would have won that game and won the two versus two versus one, we would have won the all tournament. But he clutched it and th- therefore he got uh he got third and got on the um, got in the top three, obviously, which is extremely happy for. Uh but yeah, we uh we got two second places out of the three games. The other one I believe was the twentieth place or something like that. And uh, and got second overall. And obviously before Gamescom, I didn't even talk about this. Obviously, before Gamescom we were uh, lucky enough to take a, take on an organization, uh, a smaller Danish one, where where I know some of the some of the guys that are extremely nice there. They took us on, offered us offered salary, the support to go down there. Obviously, Copenhagen Flames. Um, so we were happy enough to be able to both represent them. And I think this day, it is actually uh, it's still the biggest kind of amount of prize pool in one tournament that they won. So uh, that's that's also kind of funny. So we have a special place in their heart still. Yeah, that's that's really cool. You won $20,000, right? Yeah, $20,000 to share between me and Pony and obviously a cut for the org. Let's see. So nowadays, uh, the professional players have their own groups, uh, well, Discord servers, where they uh, assemble practice sessions and uh, play against each other every day. And that is their main practice that they get. But how did it work back in 2017 while the game was still fresh? How did it start? Who started it? So there is obviously multiple discords that kind of got started, which is super nice too, where people decided to come together and play pops together in a tryhard mode where you like, you said, I'm a top 100 player and like, I want to play. But very quickly after Gamescom and like during Gamescom, there has been some some online, uh, online platforms that's been kind of trying to organize some tournaments. PUBG Online was one of them, awesome ones some of the other ones, and GLL came in later to to do these tournaments that are like um playing together, obviously. So you want to have more of a of a scrim setup. 
So uh, after Gamescom, I quickly got involved with kind of the main European one, which also had all the signed teams and all the teams that are already competing in like the top divisions and stuff like that. And at that point, like nobody was playing for money. Uh, there was no money involved. Uh, the, I think the biggest prize pool that that people won outside in the land tournaments uh, online, uh, which wasn't like a big sponsor thing, was like key balls and stuff like that. So the first half year, excluding uh, Gamescom and obviously IEM Oakland, there was no prize pool. People were just grinding because they enjoyed the game. They were extremely passionate. So people wanted some proper training. And uh, obviously the, the script is called... Um, had been found at that point by some of the former King Kingwin members uh, and G Call, which eventually turned into Face Clan. So, so they were kind of the boundaries of that, and I got involved with that. I think it was a fantastic project, and obviously, I wanted to uh, to help us as as much as I could at that point. And we started doing scrims um, every night, actually, from seven o'clock, four or five games a day, um, with sixteen to to twenty teams, depending on what was the standard at that point. Um, Obviously, there was in the beginning there hadn't been a a uh, defined competitive rule set, so that's also something we started discussing in there. And and luckily enough, with a lot of time put in from Yannick, for example, and Miniman and myself, with kind of testing how the current circles were, uh, we we tried to come up with a competitive rule set that we started playing and tried to push to these online tournament organizers. Um, and kind of the competitive rule set became the standard, and we were extremely lucky to have. Kind of the tournament organizers support some of the top teams that have been playing in the division and just accept. Oh, you know what? This is these guys have spent, you know, like a hundred hours of trying to make a competitive rule set, and they just adapted that extremely quickly, which actually became the standard uh, for also uh, IEM Oakland, where we played that rule set as well. But even today, we can see the remnants of uh, you guys defining what the rule set is going to be. What they're using today and. In- Almost every PUBG tournament in the world started from uh, rules from your Scrim server, right? So, yeah, like the idea of having the kind of the standard competitive rules, it was also that we wanted to kind of try to have something that was as competitive as possible because obviously uh, PUBG can be very RNG heavy because of the circles. Like, so, so some of the circles that we, we had before this was a, a, like a 50% shrink or a 0.5 shrink which removed 66% or more of the playable area per circle. So we tried to kind of define it more and try to make it more competitive um, and made sure that the circle shrinks were bigger so there was more time to play inside, that you didn't have to just like try to send it with a car and try to survive, that you could actually play and you could push uh, compounds on foot and you could play in a much more kind of competitive integrity heavy game than just an RNG game, you know? Yeah. And people enjoyed that. And and I think, uh, obviously, the standard, as you said today, we were lucky enough to also be involved uh, from uh, from PUBG Corp itself. They contacted and asked us, this is a great idea. Um, how can we kind of help? What's your ideas? And and try to take some from that. And then we made, uh, we continued to develop it. Uh, competitive rule set uh, version 1, 2, and 3. And 3 kind of got became the standard um, until uh, PUBG Corp uh had the super settings designed which uh some of us from the scrim discords and some of the other discords and communities around the world obviously had their say in and they gave their input and and obviously now we're playing on a global unified standard um the super rule set and uh i I think that was our goal to begin with or it was our goal to begin with to kind of push a global rule set 
but also the way that PUBG can become the most competitive way and game possible to have the best team be able to be the best teams and consistently be the best teams because you don't want obviously you don't want to play just a BO1 with public settings because then over time like because there's eight circles there's some RNG involved then it's not always the best teams that will kind of prevail yes uh but PUBG Corp has always pushed more towards um the PUBG experience uh in the competitive games let's say where RNG is still a big factor and it I feel like it's extremely hard to balance in between keeping the battle royale genre uh idea in competitive mm -hmm. games and also have as much as a fair match as you can um but I guess it's somewhere in between now almost perfect for for the maps like Erangale and Miramar, but for Sanok, I don't know how that's going to work. But I guess we're going to see. And it, it's a topic for uh, another podcast, would you agree, yeah, right? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, obviously, uh, as you said, it's still an RNG kind of not based game, but it's a ANG, RNG influenced game. Um, so obviously, that's also one of the reasons that our 96 games are played in a phase for a pro league in Europe, for example. Less games in, in other regions, but hopefully that's going to be uh, unified and, and a standard for all leagues across, the, across all the pro leagues in the future. But with 96 games, we saw in, in PL, uh, the PL Pro League for Europe in phase two, we saw four teams that are just like 100 points plus ahead, 10-15% more points than the other teams uh, that were uh, that were not even close to being in the top four because they were just better teams and that to me says that okay we've actually reached a point where settings where uh, the amount of games that we play are defining like they're good enough they're we've removed like a substantial amount of rng but it's still a survival game it's still influenced by how good the players are and and the top teams they are the top teams all right now tell me about uh, one of my favorite projects in PUBG ever uh, that you were one of the founders of, uh, hotdrop.gg. How did you yeah. guys come to that idea and how did it all start? So hotdrop.gg was a brainchild I got in uh, November, or no, actually October 2017, where I was like, hmm, so PUBG's been out for nine months, but or nearly nine months, six, at least a half year. And the top players, they're not playing against each other and it's not a stack lobby. It's still public games. Sometimes you meet the other players, but at that point, like the game had more than a million active users a day. And there is, it was rare that you outside scrims would meet pro players. So I thought, you know what? What if you could do or make a lobby where you randomize teams and then you get a random team of four players playing against each other on the competitive rule set. And then you only invite the top players, which is, I was fortunate enough to be obviously involved from scrims. I, I, still, I was still playing actively myself. Um, I had just been, a, uh, been the analyst at, at IEM Oakland 2017, the kind of the first competitive uh, first, first person tournament where it's only first person. Uh, there was 20 teams at that point, and and after that, the the competitive rules got count got down to 16, and I wanted to offer the kind of that as a service, 
and uh, and I just still, I, I started contacting some of my guys. Obviously, I was working in a software company. I have a pretty good insight of how software works. And I contacted one of uh, one of my um, associates or some a guy I know that I know could, could code this pretty easily because he's very very good at coding backend stuff, and he could also do something kind of smooth for the front end. Um, and at that point, he made that pretty quickly, kind of the first idea of how it could work, and. Uh, got, we kind of worked through it for the for three months, and then in uh, I can't remember was it was it March no, it was January maybe January or February, I think where we had the first kind of the, the first public test where people could sign up and, and stream it and everything, and where we kind of announced that we had a Twitter and stuff like that, and like on that day it just blew up like I got 150 direct messages and across on Twitter and on Discord, like, I want to get in. But at that point, we were invite-only. Like, I only wanted the, the absolute top to play it. And it was only people with competitive experience that have played in uh, one of the divisions of uh, some of the top teams or at LAN that could play. And, like, it just blew up. And it, it, it was so hype. And it was, like, it was so cool to see kind of this idea got into development we got developed and then we started testing it and there was so much more stuff I wanted to do with it. Um, and obviously I was the first one to have made this project. Um, and uh, I think uh, it will, it just hit the perfect timing. Like it was where PUBG was at, as a, like it, it's absolute max where it was the most popular. It was before any other title, like Battle Royale titles really started kind of competing with it. I think it was more than two and a half million active players uh, at that point. We're talking about start uh, of 2018, right? Correct, yeah. Um, and like uh, I had put in like a substantial amount of money in development out of my own pocket. And at that point, I'd also stopped working at, at my own, like my old job. And I decided like, no matter what, you know what, I have, I have a... I have some uh, some money saved. I'm gonna try to go all in on that. And obviously, I had already I'd been contacted to do IEM Katowice's, which was the second ESL tournament to be asked to be analyst there. And at that point, I decided, you know what, I want to kind of dedicate my knowledge and my experience as a player and try to try to help out and try to learn and teach others that don't know as much as I do. And give them the same experience that I have had so much joy of. So I decided to go full time as a as an analyst and, a, and potentially a caster, and and on the Hot Drop GG project. And I continued the development and, and like continued paying this guy to, you know, get leaderboards, get the different stuff. And we had a new season every month, uh, and the first month was just extremely active, um, because I think there's two parts of it. People enjoyed playing against like 60 other players that they actually knew or heard of. And they, like, the lobby was as competitive or maybe even more competitive than when we were playing scrims because scrims were becoming kind of... There was, there was no... You couldn't win anything in, in scrims. Here, there was a leaderboard. You showed that you had better stats and everything. And, and, and I continued developing that on the version one. And then like after we opened up, to more players that could apply and could get in and we open up a bit more. We accepted taking uh, taking donations uh, to kind of try to propel the project even further into version two. Um, and I contacted a, uh, a development agency in Copenhagen where I knew one guy that was like, he was just a guy because I, I wanted this to become really big. Um, and 
we started developing and I took all the money that got donated and put another $5,000 out of my own pocket into the project to develop like one big competitive PUBG site with everything on one place. Automatic hosting, you know, everything that you ha- we haven't had from PUBG itself in, in terms of that you want a competitive experience. And I wanted to put that on one site because right now everything was still manual. We were hosting the servers manual. We had all the players, all the content creators that had custom access and all the pro players that had custom access because of scrims, those guys were hosting the servers from an admin panel that we also got, like I also got developed um, on the same version one side. And then we started developing version two and I put a, like already put uh, half of the money into that project, uh, like front off without, they even showed one thing and they started developing it. And then I started getting contacted by like investors, uh, some of the other platforms contacted the and me, and then obviously uh, Faceit contacted me as well. So Faceit is one of the biggest uh, sites uh, in this space. They make similar projects for other yes. games. They're most famous for their uh, Counter-Strike leagues yeah. and uh, hubs and everything else. So how did right. that work with Faceit? So obviously Faceit, contacted me um, and asked me if I wanted to be kind of an organizer on their page because they were already working with PUBG, like of the f- like fully automating everything. And I was like, you know, like an organizer. No, I just had investors contact me and I wanted to like put in hundred thousands of dollars into blowing this project up and becoming probably, I would say it would become a like a face it competitor. Um, but like I had a big vision. I wanted to be able to make a competitive platform for every game that didn't have one already. And I wanted to do it like out of the box and like start it immediately. I wanted to have everything be API, API first. I wanted to be the like very, very slick experience and make it the, the best kind of platform and easiest platform you can do. And first off, face it, contact me and said, you know what we, uh, and at this point I'd already, I actually, uh, uh, I had, uh, hired Miniment on kind of like on a part time, um, where he was still being a, he was still a manager. I hired him part time, working kind of making sure that all operations at Hot Drop, making sure that all our uh, hosts and everything like they were active and making sure we had like we had ten thousand people plus on the Discord server. And you were doing everything manually back in. We were the doing day, everything right? manually, and he was helping like making sure that we could do everything like operations wise and come with uh, with good ideas and like just support me in, in most of the ways and with that and him being able to be uh the, the manager and working for that and i could pay him uh, a little money out of my own pocket was enough for him to be able to also quit his job wow, um, that's actually amazing when you when you yeah. look at it at that point in time as well yeah it's true and obviously then face contacted me and i was like an organize on your page sounds like a downgrade compared to what we were like the vision that i was i had and I told them like what vision and what idea I had and like what I wanted to do with it. And they, they told me, you know what? It's maybe it's not me you need to talk to. And I was like, okay, all right. Because I was talking to one of the partnership managers and kind of one of the guys that tries to get in. So what face it does obviously is from new games and games they support, they want to get organizers on their site. So their whole, the whole idea of face it, and all the kind of support that we can give in terms of facing points, in terms of automated servers, all this stuff is something that we want to like offer organizers so they can organize, you know, grassroots tournaments, they can organize whatever they want to do 
and then with support of face it without face it uh kind of taking over the organization you still own the organization you still own the tournaments and everything uh, yourself and you call it what you do um and i said you know what i don't i don't think that's the plan i, I want this to be really really big and i told them kind of my visions and stuff and this guy he said you know what i think you need to talk to my boss and then uh one of the founders reached out to me and he was uh he's still kind of head of the new projects business and and market stuff and uh he said to me you know what this is a pretty good idea and some pretty good stuff you're running already this might be kind of too big um but uh if you if you can kind of keep quiet i don't think i had an NDA at that point if you can keep quiet of what we're working on then i i'll show you what we're working on and maybe you can kind of help us do more with that that right like what they were doing already and at that point they had already been working on fully automating the competitive experience like you know from counter-strike so obviously face it there's more than 10 million users on face it they have a lot of games mostly popular as you said from some counter-strike well they have like 10 more games 15 more games than that where it's like a competitive environment and everything so it was just the idea that i had but i wanted to make it smoother and easierly kind of that you can integrate it easily and everything. And then they started telling me of kind of the plans they had, what they were doing with PUBG and like how much time they have invested so far into the PUBG experience. And like, we're talking 30 developers plus that's been working on it for months. And I was like, okay, I'm, I might be in over my head here, but <laughs> this guy, uh, this guy was really selling the idea of that. I maybe be like, I might be able to contribute with something with the knowledge I had and also Miniment. And it ended up in them offering us uh, full-time positions with them, both me and Miniment. Uh, I'm working remote for them currently, and Miniment actually moved to London and is working full-time with them, both on PUBG, but also other projects that he uh, he thinks is interesting, and also for bringing in new partners and obviously growing PUBG uh, as a whole. And uh, we only, to begin with, we only opened in uh, Europe and, and North America, and now we have like a lot more regions. We have Southeast Asia. We uh, we also have uh, Oceania and Latin America and um, many regions are kind of included. And we want to grow that. There's like there's so many opportunities and we want to make that even bigger. All right. So that is that is one great story. Uh, how you guys <laughs> turned your passion, let's say, and also you your investment turned into a full time job and one of the biggest platforms in, in the space. Yes, yeah, true. It was uh, it was it was it's been a, it's been an insane journey so far and to think that it's it's only two and a half years since I like opened the game and started playing my first game and now I'm um, 2300 hours plus of playtime into the game and thousands more of kind of analyst hours and uh, observing hours and c commenting and uh, everything it's it's kind of insane to think that it's only been two and a half years and we've come so far from just being you know passionate by guys about the game that wants to do the best for the game possible into being able to contribute more and kind of tell the broader story and the bigger story of of the players that we know so well and we love to see because they're extremely skilled and we like to tell their stories you know yeah so that's uh, i'm extremely grateful for that of course so one of the bigger questions for new players coming into PUBG, and especially the ones that want to get into the pro scene is how do I get into the pro scene? Like, what do I have to do to get noticed? Who do I have to talk to? Uh, what are your main tips for uh, 
aspiring players that want to be professional players in PUBG? So obviously there's there's kind of two parts to it. Right now there's no direct connection between if you do really well in on the leaderboard you don't really get noticed. Like uh, people in the pro scene they don't look after after kind of the the leaderboard players that are playing a lot of leaderboard anymore. They either look on Face It for example and look at how players are doing there or people that are streaming that kind of go viral. One of the the, the the kind of the big young talents that are not 18 yet you have to be 18 to obviously compete in in competitive PUBG um he's 16 and a half i think and uh he just he's just been continuing grinding he's been playing leaderboard been playing a lot of face it and uh and been streaming meanwhile and kind of blew up and like his mechanical skill is just He's probably on terms of in terms of mechanical skill only. I think he must be like a top ten player in the world. He he's absolutely insane, uh, Silers and and for that for from where he started, he just played the game like a lot of hours, obviously, but started playing uh, competitively on on Face It and tried playing out in scrims, like signed up for scrims on the, some of the different scrims you can apply, obviously, uh, to get into our scrims if you're very serious. But then the most important is you can sign up to the open structure. There's a very open format. The ecosystem of PUBG is very open. So you can sign up with three players playing in the open league in all regions and whole, the whole world. And then you can work your way up. First in open, then in the next phase, if you do well in open, you can uh, qualify to play in the relegation tournaments for the contenders leagues, where there's a, a prize pool as well. You probably won't be able to live full-time off that. You probably have to kind of subsidized with another income either streaming or working part-time somewhere else and then there's a relegation tournament from the contenders teams uh where it's the the top in europe it's the top 12 teams from the 32 contender teams that play against the bottom four teams in the pl which is the the highest league obviously uh, and play for the four spots that are kind of available so that's it was 16 teams they play 20 games and the top four will will earn their way into uh, the pro league in Europe, where there's uh, three hundred fifty thousand dollars for uh, for prize pool in, in phase two and also in phase three. Basically, you have to play a lot and you have to show yourself. But probably the best place to show yourself is currently is face it, just being yeah, really good in face it and uh, yeah, trying to connect network with the with the pros network. playing there because there's a lot of pros just queuing up alone and just play yes. with random people. It's it's good for them too to maybe spot someone. Hey, this guy is uh, is really good, and we just uh, need a new fourth player. So maybe maybe you get a chance like that. You show yourself in yeah. a, a good light, and uh, you get picked up. And I would say, like f uh, in terms of community, the PUBG community is extremely mature. Like the the majority of the players are are, are kind of older, experienced. They've either played a lot throughout their career, like I've done. We have some players that have played professionally in other games in Dota 2 and League of Legends and other shooters that are now professional in, in uh, PUBG. So the kind of scene is very mature and I, it's extremely welcoming. And that's what I've experienced and that's what I'm trying to kind of promote and do myself as well. It's extremely welcoming to new players. We try to kind of welcome and embrace new players. As I said, Silas is one of them. Like he got spotted. I can't even remember. Like he kind of got spotted and he got shared in the Discord, in the media channel, and instantly you have like 500 people that are looking at this guy that is just doing, you know, insane mechanical skill, like a 1v3 or whatever, and, and like instantly he's he's recognized and like he will have a bright future if you do something like that. And and 
obviously, as you said, networking is really, really important. Number two, stream, if you're, if you're able to do that, because you're able to kind of show your skill off and, and show, you, uh, show yourself kind of proof that you're not cheating, maybe, if people are kind of doubting that. But also, that will create kind of clips and it'll maybe make you rival. And at that point, you will have people contacting you, asking you, you know what? You're insane. Do you want to play with me? I have this experience. And that was, for example, Silas. He, um, he experienced, he played with Yannick, a uh, former player of Rogue, uh, played in Vitality to make an open team. And uh, Yannick then qualified with Silas from opens into contenders. Then, unfortunately, Silas, who is not 18, cannot, could not continue with him into the contenders team. But he's got an immense amount of exposure just from being a very good player and streaming some of his insane skills. All right. Now let's uh, go back a little bit and let's yeah. talk about your other career casting or being an analyst. Yes. So tell us about your first casting gig. How did that go? Uh, very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the first, uh, unfortunately, I didn't qualify for it myself, but it was IEM Oakland 2017. Uh, I, uh, I had the pleasure of uh, still being an active player at that point. We actually did extremely well. At that point, uh, Awesome was both North America and Europe in the same league. We were uh, top five at that point. We were very close. We even got contacted by a few Orcs, but unfortunately, we didn't get invited directly. I was kind of sad about that. But then I got contacted by some of the guys from PUBG Corp and ESL, and they were like, you know what? Uh, do you want to come and be uh, an analyst on, on the tournament over in, uh, in Oakland? And I was like, yeah. That, that that sounds amazing. I would like like to be a part of it because, as I said before, like I kind of early found out that I have a, a kind of a passion of being able to tell some stories, being able to tell some storylines. Uh, and I was playing. I had like I've been playing against and with these guys that are on LAN for months. I knew everything about them. I and I was like, I love stats and I love kind of the stories about people. I love talking to new people and I I, I was just happy to be able to kind of be able to be that. But uh, it was IEM Oakland 2017. My co-analyst was uh, Steel, now a, uh, a pro player for Ghost and Counter-Strike. He played a lot of uh, PUBG. Uh, PUBG was obviously ex extremely popular, but he played a lot of PUBG, but not on a competitive level. Um, so he was more kind of the, the casual analyst where he had uh, some terms with that, but he was extremely competitive himself. Uh, from Counter-Strike, so he had kind of that view of how like the competitive environment can affect you. And then uh, the desk coach was uh, James Galeris, which I've been then having the pleasure of working with a, like, a lot of times uh, afterwards and also been working with him in, in PL. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was an exciting tournament. They, so uh, they, used, they used the rule set uh, set by PUBG Corp. That one was set by PUBG Corp, if I recall correctly. I don't think they were using our uh, our rule set because they were playing 20 teams in different circles and uh yeah so i'm quite sure that they didn't have that it was the next one that had it so um, from now yeah. from there on you casted probably like 20 30 tournaments or, or something like that i don't know the exact number but you've been on almost every big tournament since then at least the eu ones uh how do yeah. you how do you like <laughs> being <laughs> how do you like being a caster uh and an analyst as a career well, so 
obviously, I, I love being able to travel for for a living and and talking about a game that I love. Um, but yeah, as you said, like it's it's been a lot of tournaments. I've uh, I've I've been fortunate enough to. I think it was also about timing. Like I was one of the best analysts, uh, one of the not one of the best, one of the first analysts that stepped out from being have been playing professionally, mm-hmm. uh, and being kind of recognized as a as a as a player where I want some money at Gamescom and and playing in the online leagues. And then stepping out and taking kind of this other career path. And I think that, I think one of the things that it created was kind of validity. Like it, it made sure that the scene was like, okay, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. I know about like high, like very high end terms in terms of like rotations, how people think, what do you need to do? How do you counter stuff that happens? And, uh, being able to work with both Steele and James that are a lot more experienced than me, they were able to kind of extrapolate some of the information that I had. And we had a, a sh- kind of a short segment where we were talking about some of the ideas and, and like how to, how to approach some of the game styles. And then we had some experienced casters that were able to break down the games live, obviously. So it was a very, it was a very nervous. It was, I was nervous on that. And uh, I think I don't, I don't talk as much as I did today. But I just wanted to do like I wanted to represent the community well because I was kind of the first community representative that's been stepping out from player to going into kind of more in a broadcast role, you know? Yeah, but do you think that your strongest attribute when it comes to being an analyst is that you know everyone, you know how everyone thinks, you know how everyone plays, you play it with almost everyone in that game? Do you think that that is very important? I th- I think obviously it's a part of it, but um, I think like uh, afterwards I put in so many hours, and prior to that, like I watched so much competitive PUBG that it's kind of incorporated of how it is. And obviously, I played it competitively. I know the maps extremely well, but there's there's a lot of I think me being able to not do everything with kind of you look at the map, you see what happens, and you say something. But that's kind of that's hindsight thinking, and I tried to put myself in a position of, if I was this player, with the information that was available to the player, is this the best decision? And that's kind of that's that's how I try to analyze and how I, that's how I'm trying to break it down. And as I got more experience, as I put more time into into watching more games and 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 working more, you obviously get more experience, and you can just say, okay, this is a bad decision, and then you can get challenges. Why is that? Well. Uh, he was in this position. He could see this house. He could have scouted that. Instead of going straight into the compound, he could have stopped on this hill, which was available. He knew that. Um, and based off that, I, I think it creates, um, I think it creates kind of authenticity in terms of this guy knows what he's talking about. And it's not just a guy saying stuff just to say stuff, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I think um, what I really wanted to do, I wanted to represent the community well. I wanted the players and, and the, my co-casters, I wanted them to look at me and say, you know what, you, you've been playing on a high level. You know what goes through your head at this point. Wh- why did they do this? Or how did they feel? And I want to try to give that picture that I think that the players, and obviously I talk a lot with them, I, I play with them, I try to play with them a lot, and I enjoy playing with them. And when they're not playing, I talk with them. I spend time with them because they're they're friends. I, I've been spending so much time with them at this point. So I try to give that perspective until both viewers 
um, and uh, and kind of fans try to tell their story, try to say and and kind of tell how they feel and why they're doing these decisions, you know. And um, yeah, I yeah. think I think that's I think that's why and I think that's one of the reasons why I've I've been getting uh, some jobs. And obviously, as I said, I've done a lot. I've been very fortunate to work with almost all the tournament organizers throughout the times, both casting, but mainly as an analyst, which I really, really enjoy, uh, especially working with some of the guys that I've been working with recently as well. Um, it's 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 extremely awesome to see some other guys also be able to transition from a player into a role where you actually see them develop and shine and really be able to tell stories that you feel like it's the like it's it's the it's the good story and it's the true story and it's accurate information and i think accurate information is also like a big thing you need to be able to say things about the players about their play styles about their decisions that are both true but also can kind of question mark why did they do this could have done could they have done this better i think it's a big thing that uh players respect what you have to say and uh, when you say some someone made a mistake that mm-hmm. he probably did make a mistake i don't think a lot of people can say stuff that other players are going to respect the pro players what is said about them for example because yeah. there's not that many people that have that knowledge that is required to be sure in, in something like liquid shouldn't have done that because those guys are really good at the game and maybe you don't know a piece of info that they did do and why they yeah. made certain decisions so yeah, i think that's that's, that's uh, a big thing when it comes to you as as an analyst and as a caster when we're talking about casting do you prefer being an analyst or being a caster well i i, I really love both of the sides but like as as i'm doing right now what, so the re, one of the reasons why I loved casting so much was because I obviously work with some extremely talented people that are kind of the roles are very set. I'm a color caster. I tell the stories. I give the information. I kind of fill the time between action, you know? Yeah. And then you work with people like uh, with D-Man, uh, with Pansy, with Sims. Or with, uh, I had the pleasure of working with Sadakist a few times as well. And these guys are so good at breaking down action and like bring a really good story across. And then if I can fill with like extremely accurate and being very, very knowledgeable about some of the subjects that happens in game, because I have that amount of times, like time put into the game, both playtime, but then the thousands of hours on top of that, I've been watching the games. I think that flavor is kind of appealing to a lot of people. Uh, I love listening to, to uh, Panty and Sims. They're such a good casting pair. But I think some players and some viewers, they really love to have like a very hard color caster like myself, uh, a former player uh, or someone like Frost, and then uh, 100% dedicated play-by-play uh, caster. And I think that's what it kind of, I like being able to tell the stories live as well, rather than going to the analyst desk where it can, it can be and it kind of has to be on a more kind of professional and factual setting rather than when you tell the stories live yeah but i I, back to your back to your actual question i really enjoy both of it but i think i'm most comfortable in my role as an analyst i see even though as an analyst is five times the amount of work because you have to prepare all the segments they're going to do obviously there's so as like when you're casting you're working when you cast but when you're an analyst you watch the game while it's being casted and you have to look for all the information 
and try to get like gather information to build the story and the t- stories that you want to tell still and on top of that you have to like note both like in your brain but also even maybe physical sometimes depending on how you work what the players are doing what the teams are doing why did it that question that and then put that together in a segment that can vary from you know, like eight minutes and sometimes up to 50 minutes, depending on if there's technical issues, because very often it's the it's the analyst desk that is filling for uh, for time post-game and pre-game, obviously. Um, so there's there's so much preparation and so much time. And I really enjoy that. I love being like knowing so much about the teams because like like especially if I'm, I'm with with some of the guys that I, I worked with recently. You can just have a like you can literally talk for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours because there's so many subjects. So you don't have but issues with trying to find content to talk. No, about. but also it can also be tiring for the viewers because the viewers they're there to watch the games, obviously. So we we try to keep the segments as short as possible, but also within reasonable respect of that the players are actually playing for four hours in a row. So they also need to you know go to the toilet, get a snack to make sure that their blood levels are fine, uh, get get a drink. We need to respect that. I also need to have you know a 10, 15 minute break, sometimes maybe even twenty minutes break between the games, so they can actually stay hydrated and make sure that they're they're comfortable playing. Uh, and and we obviously we obviously fill that gap, and I, I really enjoy that. And I think uh, we haven't even reached the levels of of what we're able to do in terms of stats, in terms of what stories we can tell, what we can show, because there's so many possibilities with sixteen teams. It's sixty four players in every single game, and there's so many so many things to extrapolate from every single game yes indeed um you recently had the opportunity to cast PUBG mobile so yeah what do you what do you think of PUBG mobile in general and and casting it and seeing the, the esports scene? i didn't ca- i didn't cast it though i was an analyst as well. i mean yeah sure yeah i think i was i was surprised of how insane these guys are with their fingers uh, and when I'm saying fingers, we're talking two and three fingers on a screen that is five, six inches, seven inches. I don't know how big they are anymore. And they're just doing insane stuff. Yes, I know that there is obviously there's some sort of aim assist, but I try to play this game myself with all the knowledge I have in strategy, movement, rotations, everything that you can also apply to PUBG Mobile. And like I realized after about 50 hours in the game that, okay, these guys, they are just on another level like some of these guys they're playing with four fingers and three fingers and two fingers and they're doing when you watch them play they're just the movement the the way they jiggle peek the way they jump shoot uh their rotations they're just insane so um, i'm extremely happy to be able to kind of also be part of that and maybe step into that a little bit because i think a lot of the knowledge that i've gained through my time i can adjust that and apply that knowledge and kind of share that as well uh, with the PUBG mobile community, maybe. But when it comes to strategies, what do you think is, is the main difference between uh, the top-level play of uh, PUBG mobile versus PUBG? Um, I think there's multiple things to it. So the strategy can very much be the same, but the most important thing in terms of a strategy and overall is adapting to the meta. So in PUBG PC, if you have a lot of teams that send her up, you, it might be viable to play uh, more edge in the first couple of circles. If you have a lot of teams that are edging, you need to be able to kind of from second circle on, you be, need to be able to rotate and take a compound and play a bit, a bit more center heavy because then when the when the circles become smaller, there will be like the, the density of, of players on the edge will be too high and you will be killed 
or third-partied or held outside the circle and gatekept. So being able to adapt to that, that is exactly the same in, in PUBG Mobile, obviously. And if you're able to both uh, have your rotations on point, uh, take compounds fast after you see the circles move away from you, because obviously the first circles are big, uh, and you might be able to having to travel multiple kilometers, and you have to do it fast. You have to do it efficient. You have to do it together with your team. Uh, you might meet other players in the way, and especially in PUBG Mobile, if uh, if you drive together in a car, you can really pull up on compounds. It's a bit harder in PUBG PC because uh, a lot of players they they tend to shoot up and blow up the car, and and they don't really do that in in uh, in uh, PUBG Mobile as much. So pulling up in in PUBG Mobile is is a lot more entertaining, and you see so much more kind of fighting for compounds in the in the center zones uh, compared to uh, compared to PUBG PC, where people prefer a bit more of trying to play on foot from some positions and try to get uh, some some kills. Obviously, of course, as well. All right, um, let's step away from gaming for for a minute, and uh, let's yeah. talk about your uh, vacations in my home country of. Croatia. So, how many times have you been here? Um, I've been there five or six times. Wow. Yeah. And More the than you've been to Denmark. A... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so, how were uh, your vacations? What do you do in Croatia when you come here for the summer? Well, so the first uh, four or five years, it was actually a family trip where we uh, we took the boat, the the boat, a quite big boat, and put it on the trailer. Uh, put on the car and uh, took a 27-hour trip down to the Adriatic Sea to fish for tuna. And uh, that was actually the first kind of four or five years, not uh, like back-to-back. It was sometimes off and on. But uh, yeah, down to to go fishing for for tuna simply. And uh, I really love fishing. And and on top of that, I really love Croatia. Like it's extremely enjoyable to be there. It's it's a very beautiful country. And especially kind of from the sea area as well, the the water is beautiful. Beautiful. the The whole nature is very, very beautiful there, and and uh, I really love fishing and being able to try to catch a big fish, uh, and then eat it, eat it very close to like an hour, two hours after you. Uh, yeah, that is amazing. After you caught it, that is just amazing. Yeah, uh, it's, it's something kind of you feel free in that way, you know. Yeah. So this then, year you came to uh, Ultra. <laughs> yeah. How did that go? Uh, that was uh, was a very like very good experience. Uh, one of my uh, or my favorite um, music kind of trio is uh, Swedish House Mafia, and they've been kind of retired or they haven't been together, but then they announced that they're coming back together again, and they're gonna go on a tour. And uh, I've never been to Ultra. Um, kind of. I've never been to a big festival. Yes, some, but like not in that in that size. And I just said, you know what, I have to do this. And I and I told Frost, uh, my colleague from uh, from PL, I told him, you know what, don't you, we should do this. It actually fits in our in our really busy schedule. We we could do this. And then we started talking about it, like, okay, let's 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 actually do it. We're let's let's go to Croatia. Let's go to Split. Go down to Ultra, and then just enjoy some music, some time off. And uh, and have fun and uh, and drink and dance, and uh, we started talking about that. And there were like two other guys. They quickly said, "You know what? We don't do that too." So James from Liquid and Uber from Faceland, they ended up joining us as well. And we had a we had a boys trip down there uh, over the weekend. 
and enjoyed a lot of music and had a lot of fun and uh, enjoyed some uh, just some good drinks and danced all night. It was it was extremely enjoyable. That sounds great. A bunch of PUBG guys uh, going to uh, <laughs> Croatia for Ultra. Yeah, it was great. great. <laughs> I guess it talks to also kind of how close the whole community is, especially on in like in a pro scene and stuff. We're very good friends. There's like people are extremely mature. And we're having a lot of fun together, and we're just sharing this same passion for a game that we've been playing for a long time, both professionally now as as pro players, but also casters and everything. And, and kind of our paths have crossed throughout the times. So it's, it's it's extremely enjoyable. Yeah, so you can definitely feel that the community is very mature and very well-connected and uh, very friendly, uh, especially on events. When you come to events and you see everyone hanging out together, especially yeah. if you're a streamer that has an opportunity to uh, hang out with the players uh, all day long and all of that. So I've definitely felt that the community is just amazing and probably the best out there in the competitive esports world, in my opinion. I think so too. I mean, we're it's it's very including, and we um, and like especially myself. Like I'm talking to myself, like I, I try to be as friendly and open to everyone kind of approaching me. Uh, like even though it's it's work, I uh, I really want to kind of everyone that I'm around. I want to have them having the best experience possible. So like if there's fans there, if there's viewers or anything, like you try to engage as much as much as possible, um, and also obviously trade your like treat your colleagues well, treat your player, like the players that you're with well, and uh, they will like they will treat you well as well. All right. I think we've covered uh, most of the topics that we wanted to cover. Uh, we went through all kinds of stuff, so it's going to be interesting for a lot of different people to listen to what you had to say. Especially, I don't know if you did any of interviews of this type before, but I think uh, there's a lot of really good info on how to become a pro how things uh went in the history of PUBG, and maybe something like this can happen again in some other game that comes out who knows all right man i'd like to thank you for uh doing this interview with me yeah well thank you so much for having me i'm happy to be your first <clears throat> funny guy so you can find avenger on twitter at avenger and on twitch on twitch tv slash avenger that is avnqr if you like this episode feel free to subscribe to the podcast and leave an honest review thank you for listening i'll see you in the next one